Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. The very first line of the song we just sang, the church is one foundation, uh, is maybe the key phrase and the main point of what this text is. The church is one foundation. One foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation. In other words, it is all about Jesus, and that what is what Paul is talking about here. Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, in this text, Paul is going to be using the word mystery. What does he mean? Well, he means something that used to be hidden, but is now fully revealed. And you can see a quote from one of my mentors, Benjamin Glad, on the front of your bulletin there to learn more about it. In other words, a, a mystery is kind of like a dream. And it would use this in the book of Daniel talking about a dream where you have the dream but you don't know exactly what it means and then God sends his messenger to reveal the clear meaning. And so Paul is going to be talking about here in this text how Christ is the mystery. And we'll talk about what that means. So let's read God's word, Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom We have boldness, access, with confidence through our faith in him. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you alone, by the Spirit, can reveal to us who Christ is and the the mystery of our Messiah. And because it is only by you, we ask you, knowing that we cannot search it out on our ability and by our intellect, we ask you, please, reveal it to us. And as you reveal to us this mystery, strengthen us, help us, because a lot of us in here are tired, and a lot of us in here need hope. 
a lot of us in here are dying to know that the gospel is true. So would you please open our eyes to behold the glory of the mystery of our Messiah. We ask all this in his name. Amen. I remember when I was in middle school. Some of you may have heard this story. I remember when I was in middle school and there was this infamous group of older high school guys who were known as the Beltless Bandits. And they would walk around school and they would have their shirts tucked in, but they would not wear a belt, which obviously stood out to you. And as they would walk around, you would see them. And what they would often do throughout the school uh, uh, hours is that they would find a way to steal people's belts. Now, they would always, they'd give them back. But they would take people's belts for a season and they would run around with them and then hide them and give them back. But one of the things that they would often say to their potential victims, as it were, was this. When you least expect it, expect it. When you least expect it, expect it. We too often don't expect much from God and his gospel, if we're honest. We often only gauge what he is doing by our five senses rather than by faith. And we become more overwhelmed by life's circumstances than we trust that God is ruling over all creation. And even though the gospel is proclaimed in so many places, and many of the people who hear the gospel, they still do not see much to it. And that's why often, whenever we don't expect God to do great things, we often search for forgiveness, or search for identity, or search for purpose, or atonement, or belonging, or protection, or provision, or belonging, whatever it is. We search for these things in everything but Jesus. But Paul is telling us that there is far more happening through the gospel in people's lives when it is proclaimed than just our five senses can tell us. That God's promises, even when they seem to be broken, they are actually always very close to being fulfilled. The gospel tells us that through tragedy, God brings triumph. The gospel tells us that through death, we get life. The gospel tells us to expect the unexpected. And that's what Paul is talking about as he is showing to us this mystery of Christ that has been gradually unfolding throughout the Old Testament and is now fully revealed in Jesus. And that brings us to our text. There are three questions we need to ask ourselves of this text. First, what is the mystery of Christ? Second, Who does this mystery concern? And then third, how is this mystery fulfilled? First, look at verses 1 through 4. What is the mystery of Christ? For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Remember, a mystery is something that used to be hidden, but is now revealed. Think about an onion. You might look at an onion, and you might think there's not much to it. But then when you begin to cook, especially a lot of Cajun dishes, shout out to New Orleans, you begin to realize that the onion is revealing a lot more about itself to you because of how dynamic it can be in a dish. The mystery that Paul is talking about is not a paradox. A paradox is something that is self-contradicting, but that's not what Paul is saying. A mystery is also not something you 
protect from other people. It's not like a secret treasure you bury and you don't want other people to find out about it. That's not what Paul is saying. A mystery is something that is gradually revealed and can only be revealed. You see that in verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by what? By revelation. You see, only the Holy Spirit, not our intellect, not our strategies, not our power, only the Holy Spirit can reveal to us this mystery. As one author says, in their cultural context, there were many pagan mystery religions. And so this one author says, when someone was initiated into one of these mystery cults in the, uh, in the Ephesus region, they were taught many secret words, even, I'm not at all saying this is a mystery cult, but just think about how sometimes fraternities and sororities will have kind of the, the secret chants or the secret words that you would have. <laughs> I'm not saying they're a cult, um, <laughs> but you get, you get what I'm saying. But in this day, in this, in this pagan uh, people, they would have these mystery cults and you would come up to them and you would give those secret words to have access, but it would exclude everyone else. That's not what the gospel does. The gospel calls everyone, regardless of where they are, regardless of what they've done, regardless of their skin color or their economics or whatever it is. But not everyone sees the truth of the gospel. It has to be revealed to us. And notice, notice that this means that God is the one who takes the initiative rather than God waiting on us. You see that? It's all of grace. God brings it to us rather than sitting back and saying, now you better earn it. Paul's mystery, he's actually already talked about this in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 through 10. When he says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan. Now here's what the mystery in Christ is. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. In other words, what is this mystery that Paul is talking about? That the mystery of Christ is that he is the one and only he who unites all things, whether in heaven or on earth. It's a powerful mystery. Here's what we can know about Jesus. If Jesus in his very person can unite the fullness and the infinitude of God with man, because Jesus is truly God and truly man. If he can unite that in his person, can he not also by his work unite all things? <laughs> we have an incredible Savior. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that now, even though it was not quite as clear in the Old Testament, now the mystery is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. Peter himself says this in 1 Peter 1 Verses 10 through 12 when he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or what time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were, not, that they were serving not themselves but you. And the things that you have now heard Proclaimed to you through the preaching of the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And listen to this, things into which angels long to look. What's Peter saying? Peter is saying is that the mystery 
of Christ was like a puzzle in the Old Testament. And you had all the pieces on the ground, but it was not yet put together where you could see it clearly. You had it. And there were true prophecies, but they were wondering, how is this all going to come together? And what Peter and Paul are saying is that it is in Jesus Christ. Christ is God's mystery of uniting all things. You see, this is what this means. If this is the mystery of God, this mystery must be our obsession. This mystery is something that angels long to look into. It is their obsession. And as C.S. Lewis says, it is the business of heaven. And if it is their business, shouldn't it be ours? If the angels have enough wisdom and have enough sense to say, this is what we want to study, this is what we want to observe, and as we're going to look at later, this is what we want to witness as this mystery is unfolded, then why in the world do we think the gospel is ever boring? This mystery revealed in Christ is where we see how where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. Jesus did everything that the Old Testament failed to do. He is the ultimate fulfillment of all the promises and all the covenants of the Old Testament. And it means that in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. Can I get an amen on that? Come on now, we're going to wake up. You see, here's what it means. If in Jesus Christ, if Christ is the mystery of God, and all the promises and all the covenants of the Old Testament that promise things like belonging and forgiveness and the cleansing of sin and reconciliation of God, if they're met in Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ and Him alone is God's way for you to find those things, not the ways of the world. You see, there's a story of a group of pastors who met to plan out the next year's sermon series for their church. And after throwing out several interesting topics and themes and books of the Bible, one of the pastors asked, why don't we do a sermon series on the basics of the gospel? And one of the other pastors replied, our people already know the gospel. Do you want to know when a church is on the decline? It's when they assume that they already know, already know the gospel. But the angels still long to look into it. If you don't think that you need to make Jesus in the mystery of Christ your great obsession, then we need to check our hearts. It's when we take our eyes off of Jesus, off his person, off his work, that we lose sight that God can and will do the unexpected. Because if you only look at the world by your five senses, it will overwhelm you. But when we keep our eyes on the mystery of Christ, Paul is saying, expect the unexpected. That's what the mystery of Christ is, but who does this mystery concern? Look at verses 6 through 8. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Why was it given? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. In other words, who does this mystery concern? It first and foremost concerns Jesus. The gospel is first and foremost about the glory of God than it is about the salvation of man. There is a proper order, but the salvation of man is 
huge and integral to the gospel. That's what makes it gospel. That's what makes it good news. But when we make it first and foremost about us, we will inevitably be led astray. It's first and foremost concerned about Christ and the unsearchable riches of Him and who He is and what He has done on our behalf. And when we replace Christ with anything else, we will inevitably lose our way. And that's what's happening in our culture today. We're starting to emphasize things and people and strategies other than Christ and the gospel. And it is no wonder why more and more, I've noticed this in youth ministry, the more and more I would go to these other schools and people would say they grew up in Christian households and they went to Christian schools and they hardly knew the Bible, let alone what the gospel really meant. And when they tried to explain the gospel, it was more about what they did. The gospel is first and foremost about what Jesus has done. And in heaven... These unsearchable riches of Christ means that day after day after day we will search into them and they will certainly be riches, riches like we've never noticed in all of our life. And when we, when we go through these riches, kind of like what it was like to sit in seminary class, you would walk out of there and say, I feel like I don't know a thing. There's so much more. That's how rich he is. What does this mean? This means... That faithful ministry faithfully and mainly proclaims Jesus Christ. No other hobby horses, no other strategies, no higher priority, no greater emphasis. A healthy church proclaims a highly exalted Christ. And if we get bored of the gospel, or if we ever get tired of hearing about Jesus, or if we get sidetracked from having him saturate everything that we study in the church, then we have lost our mission. But yet, this mystery, it does concern people. It does concern people. Look at verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles, now who are the Gentiles? Everyone who is not a Jew. The Jewish world, it explained the world into two people groups. You were Jewish or you were Gentile, which is Jewish people or what the Greek word is, ethnos, ethnicities, the nations. In other words, Jewish people and everyone else. When the gospel says that it's to the Jew first and also to the Greek, it means it is for everyone. That's what Paul is talking about. That now in this New Testament, now that we have Christ, it's not as if we need to now become Jewish and adopt their culture. If we want to be part of God's people, all we need is Jesus. This is the fulfillment of what God had promised to Abraham in Genesis 12, 15, and 17 when God said that he would make of him a great nation. And nations would come from him. Here's what Paul is saying here. That because Jesus is the mystery, and in him the mystery of the Gentiles, and when they become in union with God, it is showing that God's plan thousands of years before that it's always worked. He's never had a plan B. How about that? Let me tell you something. If God has a plan B, how do you not know that he has a plan Z? He better have a plan A, and that's our security. It's always been his unbreakable plan. It's his plan that he's always, he's always worked out. You see, and now we see how the nations can be united together, and how are they united together? They're united together, at the end of verse 6, in Christ Jesus. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 14, you can just look at it a little bit ahead, for, or a little bit above, for he himself is our peace, 
he himself, he is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What does he mean by the dividing wall of hostility there? Well, the ancient historian Josephus said that in the Jerusalem temple, he said this, on the wall of hostility that was built in order to keep Gentiles out from where the Jews were meant to be in the temple, Josephus said, no outsider is allowed to enter within the barriers surrounding the sanctuary. And matter of fact, it was such a serious rule that violators were threatened with death if they went through. In other words, there was a divide between the people. And what does Jesus do? He breaks it down. He's the one who brings true unity. That's why actually in Mark eleven seventeen through 18, when Jesus cleared the temple, he said that the temple was meant for all the nations, not just some. You see, here's the mystery of, of Christ. The mystery of Christ is that as he goes to the cross to be rejected by God and rejected by men, that God and men are able to unite. That's the way. It is by him, and it is by him alone. And you see what happens is that as everyone accepts Jesus and is united to Jesus, it says, what, that they're fellow heirs, they're members of the same body, they're partakers of the promise, singular promise, in Christ Jesus. How does God unite all people groups? Through Jesus. No plan B, no other strategy, no other program. And here's the thing, if this is God's way, this must be our way. Let me say that again. If this is God's plan, this must be our plan. Because I'm telling you, what is happening across the country and across the world is that people think this plan is not going to work. They don't expect much from it. And so they're adopting other strategies, and they might marry it with the gospel. But whenever you put something with the gospel, it is no longer a gospel. This is God's way. It is Jesus in proclaiming him that brings true unity. No other scheme, no other philosophy, no other strategy. That's what Paul is making so explicitly clear here. The gospel and the gospel alone can carry the weight. And let me just show you a little bit more of what this means. No matter what culture, no matter what time period, no matter what people, it is always the gospel of free grace that brings people together. Not works. And that means that Jesus is the motivation, Jesus is the message, and Jesus is the mission. And when Jesus is the motivation, the message, and the mission, it means he must be our main emphasis. It's when Jesus and his free grace, not our works, not earning it, but when Jesus is the main message and when he is the main motivation, that then we have a godly and successful mission. But listen... When you change the mission, you will inevitably change the motivation. And when you change the mission and when you change the motivation, do you know what else happens? You change the message. We've got to get it right. And what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is all those things. You see, when we change the message, inevitably the mystery is lost. And then we can't really expect much except how good and how strong are we. You see, there's only one message of grace. Every other message in the world, even if they quote Jesus or talk about the Bible or proclaim it from a pulpit, inevitably, if we change or add to the gospel, it is no longer a gospel. It's no longer grace. It's works. 
It is when individuals are changed by Jesus that then, and only then, that true societal change comes. There is, there is an order. They're both important. But there is an order, what Paul's saying here. You see, there's an idea out there in the world today that we need to emphasize people's experiences more than we emphasize truth. They're both important. Please don't hear me saying that somehow experience is not important. But we need to make sure that our theology always interprets our experience rather than our experience reinterpreting our theology. Amen? Even just the other day, I had someone tell me that we need to learn today to, re- to minister in a relational age and not emphasize propositions so much. But you know what happens when we do that. When we emphasize experience uh, over theology, what ends up happening is this. Your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. That's postmodernism. The Bible never downplays our personal experiences. It never downplays them. It holds them high. Experiences are very important. Our life stories are very important. And we should strive to be empathetic and we should strive to walk in other people's shoes. But there is an order. And the gospel is what needs to be held higher. Our stories, our life experiences, our viewpoints, they do all matter greatly. And we must learn to be empathetic towards others. And we're not going to grow if we don't. But we must saturate everything we do in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. Because that is what brings true unity. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not first and foremost about emphasizing our experience to promote true unity. But that's what the world is often saying. The gospel is first and foremost about emphasizing the mystery of Jesus, and that is what promotes true unity. That means that in all our preaching, all our pastoring, all our teaching, counseling, mercy ministries, biblical justice, and loving Stillwater, that Jesus Christ must be saturating all of it. Can I say Jesus Christ enough? By the way, if you actually want to do something really amazing, in a book that is first and foremost, one of its big themes is about unity in Christ, look how much Paul mentions the name of Jesus in that, in that book. There is no other good news. This means we need to be a community of people who major on Jesus, emphasize Jesus, dive deeply into the scriptures to learn how to apply Jesus to our life. The great preacher and seminary professor Haddon Robinson, uh, who was uh, just has an amazing story about how he used to literally be a, a gang member and has an amazing conversion about how God literally kept him from being killed one time and he became a preacher of the gospel. And through his many years of preaching the gospel and teaching other people how to preach the gospel, he once said this, We find most of our heresies not in our explanation of Scripture, but in our application of it. Most of our heresies are not necessarily when we explain Scripture, but when we apply it. And that means what he's saying is that we have to make sure that we're faithful to the Scriptures. That we are saturating things in the Gospel. And that what Paul is saying is that it is ultimately when we put Jesus in everything. That's how we know we can see true unity. What's amazing is that we even have this church here at 11.35 a.m., whatever today's date is in 2022. I know it's February. Have you thought about this? 
have you thought about how amazing it is for the Old Testament Jews if they would have thought, hey, all the way across the globe, there's going to be a church called Grace Presbyterian Church where college students and, young, and adults and young adults and kids will gather together and they'll hear the preach word every week. Do you know how amazing that would be to them? That's what the gospel has done through 2,000 years, breaking down barriers of ethnicities, uniting people and making it travel through persecution and suffering to bring it all the way here. Amen? All of grace. That's what the gospel does. See, the world does, the world rightly sees that there is much evil and sinfulness in prejudice and in racism. It does. But what the world is doing to solve that problem is only using works righteousness strategies. You better be good enough, you better feel enough, you better adopt this, and if you don't, then. But the gospel says this, you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be able to undo the things that you've done. You are, as I tell my students, you're tore up from the floor up. Yeah, the whole, the whole thing. But Jesus Christ gives forgiveness. And Jesus Christ unites enemies to himself so that enemies can be united to, to each other. That's what the gospel does. We've seen it. We've, I mean, I feel like I've seen it in my students, which is just amazing. I love soccer, I love European soccer, and it's amazing to see how these European soccer clubs can be made up of so many different people from so many different countries to unite over one game plan, one goal. Even one of my favorite teams, you see Brazilians, Argentinians, Portuguese, English, Germans, Americans, Cambodians, and Koreans all unite together on one team to make an amazing team. I don't know how you'd be the coach, how you would communicate. I mean, those guys are gifted. And it's amazing and it's beautiful, but how much more beautiful is Jesus Christ? I've heard this, and this is actually really awesome. That there's someone who once said that they, you know, they were trying to bring their friends to church, and their friends looked at them and said, like, how can you, like, really be friends with them? And that's what Jesus does. That people should be able to look at church and say, how are y'all friends? Yeah. Jesus. That's what he does. It's the gospel that promotes forgiveness rather than shame. It's the gospel that promotes mercy rather than earning. It's the gospel that makes enemies be reconciled rather than holding grudges. You see in the movie Zero Dark Thirty that is about the mission where they go to get uh, Bin Laden in 2011 and uh, whether it happened in real life or not but at least in the movie it's a very interesting scene where one of the Navy SEALs asks another team member, and he says, why are you so confident that bin Laden is really there? And he just pointed at the woman who had done all the research, and he just goes, her. Why are we so confident that there will be true unity? Why are we so confident that the gospel will actually bring individual change that will then lead to societal change? Him. It's just him. Let me keep going. Y'all, I'm going to get going. Verse 9 through 13. How is the mystery fulfilled? Paul says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through, him, uh, through our faith in him. So, 
I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Who accomplishes this mystery? You see it right there, Christ. Jesus is the one who does it. Matter of fact, the whole book of Acts is about how Jesus, as the ascended Lord, is still working through people. One of the things we like to say in RUF is that we minister to students through students. Well, where, where do we get that? Well, we got that um, from the Bible. Because what does Jesus do? How does Jesus minister to people through people? You say, well, but the church is full of hypocrites. Well, yeah, welcome. Um, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I've always thought that's a very interesting thing. Because when you read Romans 7 and Galatians 5, it is literally saying, yeah, duh. And that's what's amazing. That is what's amazing, that he gets to use people who are tore up from the floor up to minister an incredible gospel. And people are like, I don't even know how this happens. And it is amazing. It's Jesus who accomplishes that mission through us. And we have that boldness in him. We have that access to him in prayer. We have that confidence in him that he is always at work so we can expect the unexpected. And the question is this. Do we have big faith in his big promises? Jesus, who is he using to fulfill this mission? He's using the church. You see, this whole book is talking about not only the gospel being explained, but how the gospel applies to these people who are multi-ethnic and how they can pursue the mission of God. You see, you say, look at verse 10, so that through what? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be displayed. The church is Christ at work through Christians. The church is nothing without Christ, as a Christian is nothing without Christ. You see, we need to remember that whenever we don't have Christ saturate our ministry, then we are not being what our identity is. Christ needs to be the one who's predominant in ministry, who we proclaim passionately and with the highest priority. And it's a grave error, as what Paul is saying, that because the church is God's tool to reach the world, it is a grave error and a sin to downplay and not emphasize the church, even with all its failures. And that's part of what makes it a mystery. Look at verse uh, 11, or excuse me, verse 10. Again, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Made known to who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So it's not just that God is accomplishing his own mission, but he's accomplishing his mission in the church, through the church, for the theater of heaven. You see it right there. To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, this is, as one person says, that the church is the graduate school for angels to learn more of the gospel. Isn't that awesome? Because oftentimes we look at ourselves and we say, we're not very good at this. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> but Jesus is. The other mystery that we have here, and what's sandwiched here, is that in verse 1 and verse 13, there's the mystery of Paul's suffering. In verse 1, Paul says that he's a prisoner, and in verse 13, he's saying, look, don't lose heart over what I am what? Suffering. What's so amazing about this mystery is this, is that as the suffering Savior gives spiritual birth and renewal to the whole world, so as the church suffers, the church also grows. Do you know when revivals and reformations happen? 
on the heels of when everything seems too messed up to be fixed. As one person says, one ancient writer says, the church bears fruit by the blood of the martyrs. We got this Bible by the blood of William Tyndale. Blood is what has brought the church to Stillwater. And whenever the world looks like it triumphs, it's actually in that and through that that God says, I accomplished my mission. Just look at what's happening in the Middle East right now. Do you want to have confidence and expect the unexpected in today when it seems like everything is chaotic? Do you know what's happening as I go and preach at other places and I hear what other pastors are saying? People are flocking to churches regardless of their denomination because of why? They just want to hear the Bible proclaimed. And whenever the, they know that there's a place where the Bible is proclaimed, they say, there's so much stuff that's just bombarding me right now, I just want to know the truth. And people are being led to Christ. It's amazing what's happening right now. But yet, the world doesn't see it. That's the mystery. The mystery of Christ, the mystery that he, he unites all things in himself, and through a united people, he accomplishes his goal and what means that he always must be our message our motivation and our mission can jesus carry the weight of ministry in this church can he do it he definitely can that's who we need to bank on that's who we need to unite over and it's as we unite over jesus christ that we will see multi-ethnic diversity in union because of him it's always when we proclaim Jesus. You see, if you don't know Jesus, you need to come to him. If you don't know him, you'll never find what you're looking for unless you embrace him. Because when you embrace him, you get everything. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we ask that uh, just through your word, through the power of your word and not by our strategies, not see Jesus and how wonderful and how amazing he is. He who was rejected for us so that we might be accepted by you. What a wonderful gospel. Lord, bring unity, bring diversity, and help us to be known as a people who proclaim Jesus Christ. We ask all this in his name. Amen.